humanity, what makes us tick. His ability to draw us to the heights of heaven and the love of his Father. I wonder what it is about Jesus' teaching that you most admire, most appreciate, and most love. Another thing I particularly enjoy, I think partly because of the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at together, is Jesus's, I suppose what I call, hypocrisy radar. You know what that's like in life when you think you smell or meet or hear a hypocrite? It might be on the news, it might be a politician of different persuasions, it might be someone that you know that, try as they may, what they say and what they do, don't, they don't quite match. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has the most pertinent and powerful hypocrisy radar. Not, not just recognizing the difficulty we as humans and we as followers of him have to align our words and our actions, but even to align our hearts with our outside, our internal life with our external life as his followers. And so today and next week, we think about three areas in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus wants his followers to, first word in chapter 6, beware. Beware, be careful, be on your guard of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. And you'll know if you know anything about Jesus that his hypocrisy radar is actually reserved most especially for religious teachers and religious leaders. So here I am, someone who was ordained as a priest only last week, hearing, hearing Jesus' words say, be very careful how you act and your works of righteousness, your works of piety before others. Be careful how you do that. And, and this word piety is actually righteousness. The original Greek is righteousness. The same word you might remember way back in chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus said the most astonishing words, unless your righteousness surpasses or exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees were the greatest people of the day, the greatest religious leaders, the greatest scholars, the greatest scribes, the greatest teachers... And Jesus says, your righteousness, your way of life, your inward life as a disciple of mine has got to exceed that, it's got to be more than that. And today Jesus shows us more of what this means. And what it means is not the hypocrite, not the person who does one thing but their heart is very different, but the person who is complete, who is whole. And I think we long to have leaders like this in our society, in, in our politics, don't we? People who say and do the same thing, and we long to be people like this as followers of Jesus. And so have a look at, with me together. First of all, verse 1 to 4, all about the rewards of giving. Do you hear what Jesus says? Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen for them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So there's the principle. And then chapter 6, verse 2. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. You can imagine perhaps in Jerusalem, the hustle and bustle of the city, the synagogue there, and the trumpet blasts. And apparently it's sometimes blasted because the poor were there and they needed money. 
and then certain people stroll off, saying hello to everyone, perhaps shaking their money, so that everyone knows what they're about to do. They're about to give to the poor. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Those people have got their reward. They've got their claps. They've got the praise. Oh, look at, look at him. Look at her. She's going again. She's giving to the poor. But Jesus says, don't be like that. He's got the hypocrisy radar on. He says, don't be like that. Instead, verse 3, when you give alms, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your arms, your giving, may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus' teaching has infiltrated our language in all sorts of ways. I wonder when the last time you thought or said that someone's blowing their own trumpet. We've just had that. And then don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And so Jesus says, for followers of him, for those who want an inner life of righteousness, where their outside and their inside aligns, we're to do this in secret. Next week, we're to pray in secret. And also, we're to fast in secret. Jesus says that there's two ways to live, in a sense. You either do your religious activities for the praise of others, for the approval and acceptance and applause of them, or you do it for God. And for those who know their Heavenly Father and His love, then our lives are more and more to be orientated to Him. We love Him. We live for Him. We give to the poor because of Him. And it's interesting here. You know, if you had giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting, we might think Jesus would begin with prayer. But He begins with giving to the poor. And do you notice the word, the second word in verse 2 and the second word in verse 3? It's whenever. In other words, whenever you give to the poor. And then verse 3, but when you give to the poor. So Jesus just assumes his people are so rich in love and generosity and so know the Father's goodness that, that they give to the poor. And in fact, for the people of God, the Jewish people, giving to the poor was very much at the heart of their life and faith. Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Think about that for a moment. How can you lend to the one who has everything? How can you give a little bit to God? and say, oh, I'll lend you this, God. Well, God says we do that when we give to the poor. And then the proverb goes on to say, and he or she will receive, will reward them, God will reward them, I beg your pardon, (coughs) for what they have done. This language of reward. And so as we think about this first example today, giving and rewarding giving, I hope you don't mind me asking about your giving. I know friends of mine who realized many years into their Christian faith that they actually never gave to the poor. They they gave to church, and the church distributed that in different ways, and then they gave to different organizations or charities or missions, and they suddenly realized, and they, they weren't trying to blow their own trumpet, but they suddenly realized they didn't give to the poor. And they suddenly realized that that was something that they wanted to start to do as a follower of Jesus. And so let me ask you today, do you give to the poor? I don't want an answer. Our left hand doesn't know what our right hand's doing. And I was thinking about this passage. No one in the year since I've come here has said, oh, Simon, I give to the poor. Which is wonderful. You get it. 
But I, I suppose it's worth asking just the flip side. It's possible, of course, that we don't go around saying, I give to the poor, because I don't. And so, this morning, our Heavenly Father, through the words of His Son, says, when you give to the poor, and in those days, there was no state benefit, there was no government handouts, so if, if, if people of faith and love and charity didn't give, people literally didn't survive. And, and that might mask it for us nowadays. But the people of God, those with hearts changed from the inside, those who aren't hypocrites, are to give. Give generously, give happily, give cheerfully, give secretly to the poor. And that might be something that you go home and think about. And think, what would you like to give to us? What a joy that is to give to others. Many of us know that joy. Better to give than to receive. And perhaps as a church, I was asking Julia, our treasurer, just help me understand, I'm not very good with numbers and money, help me understand the, the PCC and the mission support group, how much do we give to the poor? And although we give to our parish share, other parishes that are poorer than us, and we give very, very generously, above and beyond, and we give amazingly to mission support groups, specifically to the poor, it's not, it's not quite as big a part as perhaps it could be. So just a thought for us personally, for us as a church, as we give to the Lord, as we hear these words here, and Julia will be able to explain far better, and forgive me if I've not got the details entirely correct there. But we turn from giving and the reward of giving so that, so that our Father rewards us, so that we know his love, to investing. And you'll have to turn over the page because next week we'll think about prayer and fasting, but we wanted to give uh, this section of, of giving and treasures together because they do seem to hold together. So verse 19, Jesus is the best investment advisor you could ever ask for when it comes to finances and treasures and where to put it and where to, where to invest it. Did you hear what he said? Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Rebecca and I lived in London for four years. We were very, very fortunate to live in a vicarage during our college days. We were the only ones who got to do that. Very fortunate indeed. We were very unfortunate to be attacked not only by moths during our four years that raided all sorts of clothes and bags and things never to be used again. We were also robbed uh, by thieves. They, they got the wrong house because we, we lived in a very rich area and we were very poor students. So I think the, the robbers would have realized afterwards it was a bad day's work. But we were, we were robbed. And we remember coming back from our running group where we were in um, Southgate and Rebecca just seeing someone dash through the garden. And we thought that was strange. And then we went into the house and the conservatory windows had been smashed. And upstairs the bedrooms had been ransacked. Uh, thankfully, nothing of great value was in the house, so it had been stolen. But it's not a nice thing to have your valuables, your treasures, your possessions corroded by rust, eaten by moths, or just plain stolen. And Jesus says to us, as he gives us this great investment advice, verse 19, don't store up treasures for yourselves there. He says, they'll go. They'll go one way or the other. And we might listen to that and think, well, our possessions today, they're not, they're not metal things so much to, to corrode and rust. We're okay with the moths, we've checked. 
No thieves, the burglar alarm's working, thank you very much. But we know the fragility of our possessions and our wealth. We know that even as recently as 2008, with the financial crash, houses went down by 20%, just essentially overnight, in a moment. We know the challenges of pensions, the drops and uncertainties of them. We know the cost of living crisis and the challenges of that. We know the rising rates of mortgages. And Jesus says these things are so fragile. And so instead, he says, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says if you want to invest, if you want sensible financial growth, investment that will last, that will not perish. He says, put it towards his kingdom. We all have treasures. We all have things we love. We all have things we prize. And Jesus says, we're to be generous with those. We're to give of those. And we're to know in that our Heavenly Father's love. It sometimes says that X marks the spot with treasure, isn't it? You know, when you're a child or with children, grandchildren, doing a treasure hunt, X marks the spot, having a look. Well, Jesus says, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Sometimes treasure hunts are difficult, sometimes they're easy. Jesus says with us, we know where our treasure is, and then we'll know where our heart is. So we might know that by looking at our bank balance. We might know that by looking at our diary and our time. We might know that by thinking about what we daydream about. And Jesus says we're to be those who treasure God and his kingdom. There's a lovely verse in Matthew chapter 13, a parable, where Jesus describes what the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a person who goes into a field, and you might remember it, and finds treasure. They find treasure and enjoy. They sell everything they have because they have the treasure. People of the Lord Jesus Christ, people of his kingdom, know that he who was rich for our sakes became poor. Many of us will know the wonderful hymn with the lines, Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became us poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender. Sapphire paved courts for stable floor. Thou who wast rich, beyond all splendor, all for our sake became poor. And so when Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he knows what he's talking about. He's come from there. He's come to earth where moth and rust ruin and destroy and he's gone back to his Father in heaven. And he says, invest there. Invest wisely. And he gives almost a a final line about this before turning to worries and possessions. They often follow together, don't they? We'll hear about that in a few weeks. And he says, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. 
I wonder if Bob Dylan was channeling Jesus' words when he so famously sang, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. And Jesus here isn't saying, you know, choose, serve God or serve money. He's just saying it as a statement of fact, as a good, honest Yorkshireman. You can either serve God or you can serve money. But you can't do both. And you will actually be torn in two. Hating and despising. And so Jesus says, you can't serve both. And so this morning we hear Jesus' words. I don't know if you're a hoarder or a minimalist. I don't know if you're a saver or a spender. Jesus says to be a giver when you give. And he says, as we think about our life and all that we have, all that we are, all that comes from God, he says, store up treasures in heaven. There's a story of the Titanic, a true story. A lady wants to go back to her room, is told that she has three minutes, and then the lifeboat's going. Only three minutes to race across the boat, to go back to her room, to get whatever she wants, and then to get off. She goes back to her room. There on the table is jewellery and necklaces, diamond rings, and she forsakes all of those for three oranges. The day before, I'm sure she wouldn't have thought the three oranges were more valuable than the diamond rings, the bracelets, the jewellery. And when death came to the Titanic, she knew what really mattered. The scales and weighing of treasures suddenly was different. Jesus says, in the light of eternity, in the light of the kingdom of heaven, in the light of knowing him who was rich, who became poor for us, store up treasures in heaven. Let us pray. Thou who wast rich, beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, becamest poor. Heavenly Father, how we worship you and love you for who you are and your generosity. That you would give to us your one and only Son. And we thank you for every prompting in our lives by your Spirit to be people of love, of generosity. And we pray that we would know more of that. And in so doing, know the reward of a heavenly Father who loves us and sees us. And we pray for your sake. Amen.